Hi, and welcome to the Renovate Podcast. My name is Robert Newberry, and I'm on staff here with Renovate, a young adults ministry in Fort Worth, Texas. This week, we will be in the book of Zechariah, continuing on in our series in the Minor Prophets. We hope you enjoy. guys tonight. Good. Uh, love that y'all are here. Love that I'm here. Love that I get to preach the book of Zechariah tonight. Yeah. yeah. Fan favorite. Everybody loves Zechariah. <clears throat> um, it was a, it was a hard, it's a hard book. Uh, it's a hard book for me, at least 14 chapters. There's like all these chapters about weird visions happening. It took me a while to figure out what in the world's going on, but I'm excited about, um, uh, unpacking it for us. I'm excited about what God is going to do. Um, hey, like Robert and Brooke said, if you guys are, if you're new in here, or maybe you've been coming around, maybe you moved to Fort Worth recently, maybe you uh, got a new job or, or whatever, uh, we love that you're here. Uh, we love that you're here. And, and like they said, uh, we want you to feel welcome in this place, no matter where you came from, no matter what doubts you have, no matter how religious or unreligious or what your story looks like. Um, not because we're like these great, nice people, but because that's who our God is. And that's how our God loves us. Uh, he loves a bunch of sinners and he loves us where we're at. And he calls us out of that, but man, he loves us where we're at and he is patient with us. And so, man, we hope that you feel that and experience that. Not a room full of nice people who are just nice and kind, but uh, a room full of people who have been loved um, really well by a, a really, really gracious God. So <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack for us a Zachariah as best as I can. Um, to tie it together, um, Ted Kitchens, some of you know Ted Kitchens. He's the senior, he is the former senior pastor of this church. Uh, now he's the pastor of teaching or leadership development or something. He's got some cool title. Ted is the guy who functionally kind of started this church. He was the, the lead senior pastor for 37 years. Awesome guy. He is a titan of the faith, uh, an incredible preacher, incredible leader, um, just an incredible man. Uh, everybody who knows Ted knows that his wife is way more awesome than he is. <clears throat> Lynn Kitchens is Ted's wife. And Lynn Kitchens is amazing, right? Like Lynn Kitchens, like she walks down the street and flowers bloom around her and birds land on her shoulder, right? She is that person. She just loves the word of God. She loves people and she's so sweet and all of those things, right? That's who Lynn Kitchens is. And so uh, I, I need you to understand that because there I was at Chipotle, with my family. And we're in line. And this was like maybe a year and a half ago or so. And, and I'm there. And my son, Charlie, was probably around four at the time. And Miles, my youngest, was maybe like one at the time. And we're waiting in the line, you know, next to that big wall in Chipotle with the metal thing that you take your key and you if you know what I'm talking about. And so we're sitting there, you know, messing around with that wall. And then Lynn Kitchens walks in. And the music changed, and it was like, wow, Lynn Kitchens is here. I mean, you can feel the Spirit of God, like, enter the Chipotle, and, uh, and all the Salmonella, like, ran away, or whatever it is, <laughs> whatever it is that they have at Chipotle. Um, the queso actually became good for once. Uh, <clears throat> and so she walks in, and she walks in right behind us, and we know Lynn, and she's met our kids before when they were babies and that kind of stuff. We're like, oh, hey, Lynn, how are you? And, uh, and she's, you know, she's being sweet and talking to us. And, uh, and then Lynn, who's the wife of functionally my boss and the senior pastor of this church, uh, 
I was like, yeah, you remember this Miles? He's a little one-year-old in a little one-year-old car seat thing. And, and this is Charlie. You remember Charlie? And Charlie's standing there. And, um, and Lynn like reached out to like kind of shake his hand or like touch his head or just kind of be sweet and, and gracious. If you're listening on the podcast, you're going to miss this because this is how my son responded. <laughs> like that's what he did. Like Lynn Kitchens reached out to touch my son, right? Here I am at Chipotle. And my son's response was, <laughs> like hands like a cat and like a biting motion while making an animal noise. <laughs> to Lynn Kitchens of all people. You don't, you don't try to bite Lynn Kitchens. That's just, you don't do that. And so we were horrified. My wife and I were, we were like, ah, our kid normally doesn't try to bite people. I promise. And I'm like thinking like, am I going to get like disqualified for ministry? There's something in the New Testament about like qualifications of a leader in the church and their children. And do they bite people in public and that kind of stuff. And so I'm like, oh my goodness. Like my son doesn't normally do this. And it was just one of those moments where she's cool and gracious and fine. And we moved on past it. And I don't, think she remembers it, hopefully, um, but I do, and my wife does, and it was one of those moments where, as parents, right, like, it was like, wow, what have we done, right, like, what have, who have we raised, like, he makes animal noises and tries to bite, like, the sweetest lady ever, uh, making, like, barking animal noises, and it was one of these things where it's, you know, the, the insecurity of me as a man and as a father, you know, rose up, because I'm thinking my four-year-old, he reflects me, right? So how he acts, Lynn doesn't really, like in her mind, she's sweet and gracious. But in my thought process, my insecurity, I'm thinking, she's not going to care about Charlie, right? Like she's not going to think like, oh man, Charlie's an awful kid. She's going to think, who are his parents? Because as a four-year-old, a four-year-old is going to reflect their parents. And so that's where the insecurity embarrassment came from. Zechariah is all about how we are reflecting our father, God, how we are reflecting him to the nations, how we are reflecting back to him with among each other. This book is a call to show us God saying, you are reflecting me. How you act shows the nations around this, who I am as your heavenly father, as your God, as the one true God. And so I expect you to live in a certain way. And so that's what this book is about. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight is, man, what does that look like in our life? Does your life reflect God in a way that brings him glory, that brings others to him, that is genuine? Uh, and so that's where we're going. I, I want to, if you weren't here last week, uh, I want to give you some context on Zechariah. Uh, it is the second post-exilic minor prophet. And Haggai, which we did last week, which I covered last week, was the first post-exilic. And what post-exilic means, for those of you who weren't here or don't remember, um, the Israelites, in all the early prophet, prophetic books, you know, it's, it's prophets saying, hey, God's wrath is coming. You're going to get disciplined because you just are totally disobeying God. God's going to take you into an exile by Assyria or then eventually Babylon. And he's going to exile you to those places to teach you and to purify you and to discipline you because you have wandered so far. And he wants you to return, but he's going to discipline you in order to do that. So sure enough, that happens. They get taken into exile. They're in Babylon for 70 years and then they get 
returned out of Babylon. About 50,000 of them get to come back from Babylon and they get to reestablish their home in Israel. And so Jews get to come back and reestablish their home and build the temple. And so 50,000, so this is the second post-exile book. And so Haggai and Zechariah were both prophesying around the same time. It's the people rebuilding the temple that got totally wiped out uh, whenever the enemy came and dragged them into captivity, knocked down the temple. So they're rebuilding this uh, temple here. And so this is a book speaking into that same period of time while the, while the temple is still being built. And really what's happening is he's, God is telling people what he expects of them. You're gonna reflect me and this 14 chapters in this book are, here's what I expect from you guys. Here's what I expect your life to look like. Here's what I, here's what I expect your love to look like. And so that's, that's what it is. Um, what I'm going to do tonight, uh, as best as I can, is I'm going to give you guys a big picture view of 14 chapters of this book. And so we're just going to go 30,000 foot level, and I'm going to break it. It kind of breaks into three pretty clean sections, just so that you can have context for what we're studying. I think it's super important for you to understand God's word, know that God's word is relevant. Even some random minor prophet in the Old Testament this is relevant, this is powerful, this is important. I want you to study it on your own. I want you to grow. I want you to tr want to reflect your God by knowing him more and more and more by how he reveals himself in his word. And so I'm gonna give you kind of a big flyby. Here's the big three sections. And then after that, it's gonna be five minutes and then we're gonna zoom in. And the rest of the time, we're just gonna zoom into two chapters. I'm just gonna preach two chapters to you and how to apply them to our life of what God's expects. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, um, Flip to page 793 if you've got one of these pew Bibles. We've got Bibles underneath the seats, or I guess it's underneath the seat in front of you is how you get it. So if you're in the front row, <laughs> you don't have access to Bible, so you, you three guys are out of luck. Um, <clears throat> okay, so uh, Zechariah, page 793, if you're grabbing one of those Bibles, flip there. I want, you to, I want you to see the scriptures. I want you to hold the scriptures in your hand, even if it's on an iPhone or whatever, you can see what God's doing. And so... Uh, let, let me break it down for you. So the first six verses of Zechariah uh, is an intro. Uh, there's this intro in these first six verses. And so before we kind of get into the three big themes, I want to kind of read a few of these verses. I'm going to pick up in verse three, and I'm going to read for you verse three, four, five, and six. This is what it says. Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts proposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. So here's what's happening in these first six verses before we really jump into Zechariah. He's saying, return to me. He's saying, return to me, right? You have wandered, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. He starts out this book before he really gets into what I expect by saying, you know that you are wandering. You know what your fathers have done and the mistakes your fathers have made and the consequences of those sins. Remember, this is the first generation being let out of captivity because of the sins of their fathers and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers. And so here you have God saying to these people in this fresh start, 
Return to me. Now is your chance. And they're saying, yes, yes, we will. Um, before I go too much further, uh, I, don't, I don't want that to be lost on anyone. Uh, what's happening up here on the stage right now is not just me giving a monologue. What's hopefully, hopefully happening in this room is the spirit of God through the preaching of his word is interacting with you where you are at. And the spirit of God is illuminating the word of God for us tonight. And there are people in this room, maybe all of us, if we look deep enough, who the Lord is saying right at the beginning, you know where you're wandering, return to me. You know where you're wandering, return to me. Where you're headed is not going to give you life. Return to me, return to me, right off the bat. It's sobering, it's in our face. I don't wanna blow through that. What's God telling you tonight? Don't miss out on what God is telling you tonight. Chapters one through six, <clears throat> big picture. He says, return to me in these first six verses and then he spends the next six verses unpacking this idea of what it looks like to walk with me. Uh, and, and chapters one through six, are they're hard. It's these weird visions that happen, right? Zechariah gets all these visions in the middle of the night and he gets these visions of a woman being carried away in a basket by other women who have like swan wings and there's all kinds of the four horsemen and, there's, and, and this is kind of nerdy, but even in these chapters, just for you guys to know, as I, I hope you even look at this book on your own and study it on your own, there's a, a chiastic structure in these three chapters of how they lay out these eight visions. And what that means is they, they invert on, each, on themselves. So the first vision that, you're gonna, that you would read and the eighth vision match in theme. And the second vision and the seventh vision match in theme. And the third vision and the sixth vision match in theme. And the fourth vision and the fifth vision match in theme. And so they kind of invert and match each other. And that's just one of the ways that the Hebrew author does it that I thought was really fascinating, kind of nerding up as I was studying this book of like, wow, that's really cool that God does that. So read those visions. But really this idea of what God's laying out in there is what it looks like to walk with him through these visions. Uh, then the second section of this book is chapters seven and eight. And it's really where he, I would say, becomes the most practical of what he's calling his people to do in order to reflect him. And so in chapter seven and eight, he's really saying, hey, reflect me. And this is how I want you to reflect me. That's actually what we're going to zoom in on here in just, just a minute. We're going to zoom in on specifically those two chapters. Because then in chapters nine through 14, God, through the prophet Zechariah, he says, I'm coming back. He says, man, the last five chapters are God saying, I am coming back. I'm coming back. I'm going to make my kingdom known here. I will return. My kingdom will be here. I'm coming back. And so in chapter seven and eight, it's, hey, reflect me because guess what? I am coming and there will be a day where I return and I will make all things that were wrong new. And this really awesome, awesome picture of God's restoration when he comes back, uh, which, we, which we believe is happening, which we believe will happen. Um, and so, so that's, that's the big picture book of Zechariah. I hope you spend time in it. I hope you said it. I hope that you are not dependent on 35-minute sermons on a Sunday or on a Wednesday to feed you, but that you are hungry for this and continue to chew on it. Let me now zoom in. Let me zoom in and let's go really deep in a small section because we don't have time to cover everything. And so let's look at chapters seven and eight. So flip with me to chapter seven and we're just gonna break this off and, uh, and, and spend time in these verses. <clears throat> so chapter seven and eight, here's what God does. I'm going to read for you chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 7. There's some names in here. Guys, I'm going to butcher those names, so be ready. 
in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is uh, Shizlevel, right? Okay. So now the people of Bethel had sent Sherazer, which I'm pretty sure is a Pokemon, and (laughs) Rajamalek and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests, to the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, and listen, this is really important question. Look at this. He's asking genuinely before God, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Should I continue to fast like we have been for the last 70 years in exile? Now that we're back, do we need to continue to weep and fast the way we've been doing it? Look what God's answer. Great question. Look at God's answer. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh month for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourself and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowlands were inhabited? Here's what's happening. Um, these people are saying, hey, we fasted, God. We, you know, we're used to these fasts on the fifth month and the seventh and the 10th month. We would do these big nationwide fasts of all the Jews who were in captivity because that was kind of the rules. That was the religious things we were supposed to be doing as a Jews. Do we need to continue that? And God says, were you really genuine when you were doing them in the first place? Like back when you used to fast, was that a, a genuine thing that was happening? Were you fasting for me or were you fasting for yourself? And he's calling them out. He's with these rhetorical questions. He's saying, hey, you have been going through the motions. You have been treating me and your relationship with me going through the motions, doing what you're supposed to do. And God's calling him out in the beginning of chapter seven, saying that is not really reflecting me. I am calling you to love me genuinely. We're called to love God genuinely. And they get called out here for their love for God, not being this genuine thing, but being a ritual. We go through the motions. Um, okay, I, I need your help. I want everybody to stand up. You can hold on to your Bibles, but just everybody stand up. Nice. <clears throat> okay. Now everybody sit down. You guys who were slow standing up, lucked out. <clears throat> okay, everybody raise your right hand. Okay, put it down. You're just doing things because I'm telling you to do them, right? Right? Like this is a glorified version of Simon Says. That's what's happening. That's what was happening here. The Jewish people were just doing things because that's what they were supposed to do. God said, hey, fast on the fifth month. They fasted on the fifth month. So yay, they did it. Pat on the back. And when they're talking to God about it now, 70 years later, they're asking about it. And God says, I want to look deeper. You're not doing it genuinely. If we are going to reflect God, which is what this book is calling us to do, which is what we are called to do as believers and pretty much just about every single book, all 66 of them within the Bible, we're called to reflect him and, and, and be holy as he is holy and, and bring him glory. We've got to love God genuinely. And there is a major chasm and disconnect between just doing things for God, being religious, doing rituals, doing the right thing, or loving God genuinely. Um, 
to, to figure that out, to understand, man, how do I know if I'm loving God genuinely? How do I know whether that's genuine or not? We have to look to our motives. So we have to look to the motives of how we are doing things and, and, and ask the Lord, reveal my motives, reveal my heart. Why am I going, why do I come? Why do I serve? Why do I pray? Why do I do the religious things, the, the things that God asked me to do? What, what is the motive behind that? Is it selfish motives? Is it so other people will see me? What is the motivation before it? Or is it a response to God? Is the motivation behind our love for God a response to how he loves us? One of my favorite verses, and I talk about it all the time and I use it all the time, is um, we love because he first loved us. And this concept that is throughout scripture, that my love for God comes from a response for how he first loved me while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? This idea that man, my love should be a response. It should be motivated out of a response for how God has loved me. So um, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God for salvation for everyone in this room that it's available to, uh, is not religion, is not doing the right thing, is not being religious enough, is not being Christian enough, is not simply um, uh, liking God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, that's the gospel I preached to you. Anybody who says otherwise is wrong. And it's the fact that our God has come and died. Death, burial, and resurrection, that our God died in order to take our place. And so now all of the rituals and all of the rules we don't do in order to earn salvation because God has done them. Now we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so now what we are called to do is to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here in this room and, and you are a good person or you want to be a good person or you want to be right with God, then what God is saying to you tonight is, I will make you right. Right now, tonight, I will make you right with me. I will make you righteous, not because you have done enough good religious rituals, but out of grace because I love you. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, stop trying to do it yourself, but instead surrender. Turn to Christ and say, Lord, I trust you. Jesus, I need you. Holy Spirit, would you come in me and seal me as I put my faith in Christ rather than my own religiousness to do that? And that's the gospel. And that's how we're saved. And that's how we come into this relationship. And so it's this amazing thing that's happened. If it hasn't happened in your life yet, if you've been going through the motions and doing this and living a good life and trying to be religious and trying to be close to God, but you've never really heard that the gospel is about putting your faith in Jesus, then tonight my prayer is the Holy Spirit gives you ears to hear and that clicks and you say, I'm gonna put my faith in Jesus Christ. And you grab somebody else who knows Jesus in this room and you say, will you pray with me? I wanna put my faith in Jesus Christ. And you let that person pray over you and you pray and say, Lord, yes, yes to your grace. And it's this amazing thing that changes everything. It changes everything. But church, it is not a one-time thing. It happens once and for all and we are sealed and set and I never have to question the assurance of my salvation, but my relationship with God, for me, it doesn't just float up here and I'm constantly genuinely in love. There is a constant tending to this relationship. God's love never changes. If we put our faith in Christ, we should have assurance of our salvation. 
but we're tempted to kind of start getting cold-hearted. We're tempted to start going through the motions. Um, Galatians uh, is a book in the New Testament. I love it. This book is written to a group of Christians who I believe are saved. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, look at what Paul says in Galatians 6 and 7, chapter 1 of 6 and 7, verses 6 and 7. He says, I'm astonished. I am blown away that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and they might distort the gospel of Christ. What happens in the entire book of Galatians is people who love Jesus, have put their faith in Jesus, are saved, know Christ, and then wander into religious rituals, going through the motions. No longer is our love genuine like it was that one day we put our faith in Christ and we drift. And Galatians is this book calling God's people in five chapters back, back, back. Quit trading the gospel of grace for the gospel of religion or the gospel of doing enough good things. What are the motives behind why you love God? Ask yourself that. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that. What are my motives behind this? Lord, would you show me? Do I genuinely love you? And you might be saved, but still wandered into, yeah, I'm kind of going through the motions in my faith right now. And I know God loves me, but I'm going through the motions. I'm checking the boxes. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Maybe I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. My love for the Lord, God, would you make fresh? Would you make new in a way that only you can do? First part of chapter seven. If you're gonna reflect him, do you love God genuinely? Second half of chapter seven. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, this is verse eight. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner or the poor. And let none of, your device, let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts Diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. We are called to love God genuinely, but we are also called to love others genuinely. I think I mean, we could spend a whole sermon series on this idea of us showing kindness and mercy to one another in verse nine. In verse 10, that we do not oppose the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. Man, there's so many practical, there's a whole eight-week series on how we need to love others in ways that is, for some reason in 2019, so difficult to wrap our minds and our hearts uh, around. But we're called to love others genuinely. To not just, not just invite people, but to love those who are hard to love. Uh, God calls us to that. 1 Corinthians 13, he defines love. Maybe you've heard it at a wedding before. He defines this love as uh, 
Paul does in 1 Corinthians. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Man, 1 Corinthians 13 is awesome. And it is this really practical but very difficult picture of this is not just some easy love that we're called to show those around us. And do we love others? God commands his people. Do you love others this way? Do you love people who are hard to love, the sojourner and the widow? Are you, are you someone who is showing peace? Are you someone who is showing mercy and kindness? Because if you're not, and if you close your ear and turn your heart's diamond hard, I'm going to discipline you because he calls his people to reflect him in a way that loves others genuinely, genuinely. I, um, this is gonna be a rabbit trail, so I'm gonna go ahead and apologize right now. I was at a wedding this last weekend and, uh, and I was sitting there and I heard the guy doing the wedding. He said, he said, uh, it was a really beautiful ceremony, great couple, blah, blah, blah. But he said in the middle of the ceremony, he said, um, man, it's so incredible that this couple is talking about their, her life, you know, up to this point and his life up to this point and the trajectory of their lives. And it's so awesome that they found love together and that they had found love. And I remember thinking, I was sitting with actually George and Christine. If you don't know George and Christine, you should. And I was like, and I remember thinking, I was talking with George afterwards. I was like, I, I so disagree with that. I so disagree with the idea that love is something you find, right? That love is this, this passive thing that we're all looking for. So even in this context, where, where this is coming from, how it's connected to Zechariah, I'm gonna tie it back, but this idea of, well, we're to love others. And I think so often we treat love as this like chemistry thing. Well, I'm gonna love others in a community because we click together. And these are guys that I click with and we've kind of found this brotherly love or in a romantic way or whatever that is. And I think the idea that love is this mysterious thing we've got to find, I think is, I think is a trap. I think it's a misunderstanding of this idea of love. I don't think love is something you find. I think love is something you choose. I think choose is the verb that should go with love. I choose to love that person. Now, if you want to say, hey, you found somebody that you are going to choose to love the rest of your life. Great. I'm cool with that. But I think when we turn it into this passive mysterious thing, and some of you guys I love you. I don't mean that tritely. Like, I love you. But for you, you are waiting to find the right person that you will choose to love who just happens to be like a supermodel who loves Jesus and is a millionaire and is going to be an incredible mom. And it's like, as soon as I find that person, I'm going to choose to love them. I'm like, cool, awesome. That's fine. But that's on you that you have a very narrow ability to love. Right? Like your ability to love somebody is so narrow that it's like, yes, I'm going to choose to love in a biblical way somebody, but they're going to have to have one streak of red hair and they're going to have to speak in, you know, Greek and, you know, have eight foot legs or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> that would be freakish. That would be awful. You should see a doctor. <clears throat> right? That or, or girls... Like, yes, I'm going to love somebody, but I'm looking for somebody, like a narrow view of like, they have to have a six pack. Like they've got to love Jesus, have a great sense of humor and have a six pack or whatever that is like. Um, and, and so we narrow that ourselves, right? And then I know this is, I recognize this is a total rabbit trail, but I wanted to go there and that wedding ticked me off. And uh, 
Because I don't think love is just something you find. It's something you choose. And so sure, you're finding someone that you choose to say, cool, found him. I'm gonna choose to love this person forever. Not, oh, I found this person. So this, Zechariah, is not talking about romantic love. I want to unpack that. I recognize the audience I'm talking to. But I think regardless, this idea of loving one another genuinely, romantic whatever, people, Loving people genuinely, choosing to love people genuinely, not finding people who we have good chemistry with, and man, I love my neighbors because I get along with them, and I love these coworkers because I get along with them, and we have good chemistry, that our view of how narrow we are as believers, that we don't have the capacity to love the sojourner and the widow and the person who's hard to love, that doesn't reflect well on our God. You know Why? Because I am the sojourner and the widow and the person who was hard to love that needed mercy. And my God had the bandwidth and the scope to love someone like me. And unless you're self-righteous, to love someone like you, to say, wow, I was loved. The capacity of our God to love even someone like me, that we would genuinely love people. Love people. That's what Zachariah is talking about here. And end of chapter seven, love people in a way that represents me well. If you don't, don't harden your heart to that. Choose to do it and choose to do it genuinely. And yes, that's hard. John 15, uh, verse 13, I think. What's he say? He says, uh, this you will know, love, that I laid down. Uh, this is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends. That's what it looks like to love others genuinely. To love others genuinely, not only looks like broadening your ability of who you choose because you're commanded to broaden that, it also means laying your life down. It means sacrifice. You are reflecting God. Who do you love sacrificially in your life? Who are the people that you love in a sacrificial way? And it may happen, and that's great, and that's awesome. I affirm you. Man, let's continue to check ourselves. Are we reflecting the Lord well? And if we do that, and if we love the Lord genuinely, with our motives being pure and our motives being as a response to how much he loves us, not going through the motions, and if we love others well the way God calls us to, not just where who is convenient and what's convenient for us and the people we want to love, but if we choose to love the way God loves us, then look what happens. We become a witness to the world around us. We become a witness. And so chapter eight, I'm not going to read all of chapter eight, but let me at least uh, read the end of chapter eight. Look what happens as people see that, that being reflected in us. Verse 20 in chapter eight is where I'm going to pick up. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people's shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from the nation of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. To reflect God, we have got to be genuinely attractive to the world around us. 
And those things, loving God genuinely, loving other people genuinely, it is attractive to the world around us. And that reflects God, reflects his heart for God. Here, people in chapter eight are coming from other nations and grabbing a hold of the robe of a Jew saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. I love this. Are you loving God and are you loving others in a way that other people are genuinely attracted? Not to you. This is not about you. This isn't about you getting glory, you being a great, nice person attracted to your God because your love isn't about you and isn't about rituals, but it's about God. It's from God and it's for God. And other people say, man, I wanna know your God. How do you love the way you do? How, do you, how are you so kind? How are you so merciful? How, how do you do this? How do you love the Lord the way you do? That is attractive to the world around us. Man, that brings God glory. That's where revival happens. Revival happens in the church when the people of God say, man, let's love him. Let's correct our hearts. Let's go back to our first love. Let's return to him. Let's love him the way he loves us in response. Let's love others the way he calls us to love him. And that's how revival happens. Because people see that and they're like, I want to be a part of that. I want to know that God. I want to be transformed by that God. I want to experience that grace. I want to experience that love. That's what he calls us to renovate. That's what he calls you to. And he has paved the way. And it's not go be this great evangelist and learn all the tactics and go come up with all of the right arguments against this argument or that argument and, and bully people into the faith. It's love people, man. That is going to make so much noise in their life. They're going to hear that. They're going to see that. That's going to be unavoidable. And they are going to be drawn to a God who loves them. Man, will we be those kind of people? Would this community, would other church community, other great churches in the city, would we continue to fall in love with Jesus and let that be what draws people to him? Tonight, um, tonight, I hope that the Holy Spirit challenges you. I hope the Holy Spirit shows you gently in the gracious way that God does, but if it needs to be loudly, hey, you're going through the motions, return to me. Don't go through the motions. Don't go through the motions, return to me. Know how I love you. Know how much I care about you. So tonight, would you check your heart? Would you check your surroundings? How are the people around you feeling loved by you? Those undeserved sacrifices in your life. Are you loving people who don't deserve your love? the way you didn't deserve God's love, check your heart, check your surroundings, and then live a life that others will say, I want to know that God. Because renovate, he is coming back. He is going to return. Chapters nine through 14, our God came. He did what he said he was going to do. He ascended and now he sits at God right hand and intervenes for us and says, that's my boy. That's my girl. I love them. They are righteous because of me. Christ has given us that. And he will return to reestablish his kingdom. We have this window of time to be used by him. Let's use it. He is returning. He will reestablish. Let's invite as many people to be a part of that as possible. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you love, God. Would we see that, God? You've got to show us that. Um, you've got to show us what that looks like and how to do that. Um, so would you do that? Would you be gracious to us? Thank you that nobody in this room has been able or will be able 
to wander too far from how much you love them. There's no amount of sin, no amount of disobedience, no amount of shame that is more powerful than the grace of Jesus Christ. Would we have ears to hear that tonight? And not just hear it and nod our heads intellectually, but would our hearts be set on fire by the truth of your grace? And then would we respond to that? Would we love others in a way that's, yes, challenging, but glorifying to you? And would others come to know you so that you might get glory through our life, God, through our ministry that is yours and for your glory, because you are coming back soon. And so, Father, we eagerly await you. Um, We eagerly await the God who loves us, the Father, to return. And as we wait, would we be good stewards of this time? In the name of Jesus, amen. If you have been following along through this series, we have seen how often Israel wanders away from the Lord. And now in Zechariah, we see this call to return to him and represent him well here on earth. If you are in Christ, you are an ambassador for him. And that means we carry the name of Jesus wherever we go and in whatever we do, in how we love our neighbors and do our jobs or even talk to our friends. In all things, we represent Christ. So may we recognize that great opportunity and continually remind ourselves of the love that Jesus showed for us on the cross. And he shows us daily in his care and watch over us. Because to represent him well on this earth isn't about focusing on a list of actions or do's and don'ts that we need to get right. But to truly represent Jesus well, we must be overwhelmed with the grace and love of our Savior. It must come from a deep root of joy and satisfaction in our personal relationship with Jesus that overflows into how we live our lives. If you have never had that before or need help to get back into a growing relationship with Jesus, reach out to us at renovateftw.org or on social media at renovateftw. And we would love to help you figure that out. That is all from us for now. We hope to see you again soon.